0: Man, I, or sometimes, I was going to say, if you know how it feels like, but you don't because you're, you're not preachers, but sometimes I just just don't want to preach, and I just want to keep on singing. Man, um, that's been this morning. Um, I just really enjoyed it. Man, I just, uh, God is doing some great things in the hearts and the lives I know of you and us, and uh, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful we'll be a part of it. I'm thankful that God... Um, just as he moved two thousand years ago that he still moves today because he doesn't change you know we change but he doesn't he is ever changing he is i am and that's really what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks um this is our last sunday in this series called jesus and um danny and i have been talking a lot about the names of jesus found in the book of john We've been talking about the word, the light. Last week, we talked about that Jesus talked about himself seven times. He described himself seven times in the book of John using these words I am, and then he used a word. In fact, last week, we talked about that he described himself as I am the bread of life, I am the gateway, I am the door. We talked about that I am the way, and I am the light. And Jesus described himself in those four ways. And today, we're going to look at the last three of the I am's of the book of John. I am the life. I am the good shepherd. And I am the vine. So we're just going to dig right in. If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. And we're going to look at the first I am this morning. I am life. I am the resurrection. I am the life. This may surprise you, but Jesus had a lot of friends. All right? Now, the reason why it may surprise you is, you know, Jesus was God. He was perfect. He was without sin. And even though people were all jacked up, we got sons of sin in our life, the people who were the most messed up loved hanging out with Jesus. He had a lot of friends. Now, he had the 12 disciples. They were his friends and they followed him for about three and a half years. But he also had a lot of friends who weren't his disciples, who weren't just following him around all the time. In fact, there's this one place in this one part of Scripture in John chapter 11 that talks about that he had some friends living at Bethany, a little small town just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. I've been there. And uh, there was this two sisters and a brother that he loved hanging out with, Mary and Martha and the brother's name was Lazarus. And Jesus was best friends with Lazarus. I don't know if they you know, went to high school band together. I don't know. But he, they loved hanging out with one another. And in John chapter 11, verse 1, we read about Lazarus. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend. Everybody say dear friend. Your dear friend is saying, I of y'all ever had a best friend. All right? All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, picture their face. Um, for the longest time, I, I, I was. Matter fact, my best friend is here today. His name is Philip. I don't know where he's at, but um, him and I, we, we were in middle school together. We were in high school together. We went to college together. We even went to seminary together. And um, uh, I, I, when I think of best friends, I think of Philip. Uh, he was a cheerleader at Austin P. And I was, the, I was the person on top of the, the A. That wasn't funny. I'm serious. I'm just joking, all right? Think about your best friend. Think about your best friend. Mary and Mar- Martha, because Lazarus is sick, Mary and Martha contacted Jesus. Now, why did they contact Jesus? Because they knew that Jesus could heal people. You remember, if you were here last week, we talked about that He healed the blind man. I mean, we know that Jesus can heal people who are sick. So they contact Jesus saying, hey, listen, your best friend, he's sick. They knew that if Jesus showed up, the sickness would be gone in a snap. They knew that. They knew that Jesus was bigger than sickness, verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, his sickness will not end in death. No, it happened. Look at this. Why did the sickness happen? It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you're sick, maybe you're struggling, maybe you fell out of school, fell out of summer school, maybe you're struggling because your parents are splitting up, your wife or your husband just told you, I'm done. Maybe you got a, a raw deal from the army. I don't know. And you, you're thinking, God, why? Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Jesus says, I want to get glory from this. Jesus is telling his friends, the disciples, he says, you know what? You think this is going to end one way with Lazarus? I'm going to tell you, you, don't even, you can't even imagine how this is going to end. Because this is going to end with all of you going, Wow because I want to get glory from this. Verse 5. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus... Now, did Jesus love Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? That's what the Bible says, right? Though Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, He stayed there where He was at for the next two days. Now, that's just strange. I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, if you got a best friend and they were sick... And they were going south quick, and you had the medicine to make them better. Do, do you think you would go and give them the medicine? How are you would give them the medicine? Let me see your hands. Those that didn't raise your hands, now you know the reason why you don't have good friends. All right? All right? It's just strange. Jesus stuck around for two more days. He says, you know what? I know he's sick. I'm going to hang here. And some of you, that's how you feel right now with God. You you feel like you could just pull your hair out. God, I've asked you to save my marriage. God, I've asked you, my child has left you, has left the faith, and he is running, she is running away from you at full steam ahead. And you're not intervening. God, I know, I believe, God. I believe you can do these big things that you've been talking about. I believe. But how come you're not showing up? I'm asking you, God, show up. I'm doing what Mary and Martha... Jesus, we need you to show up. And God doesn't show up. And some of you right now, you're scratching your head and you start thinking, is God really good? You know, this tells me He's good, but this right here I'm struggling with. I know... I know He can heal. That's what Mary and Martha believed. I know He can heal. Look at verse 7. Finally, He said, Jesus said to His disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back close to Bethany. Then He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and now I'm going to go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better, right? Right? They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So He told them, Plainly. That's be honest with you. That's why I want God to speak with me. Just plainly. You know, don't butter it up. Just give it to me plain. He said plainly, Lazarus is dead. Doesn't get any more plainer than that. But look what he says. And for your sakes, and for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Now come on and let's go see him. Now again, that just seems a little weird. Okay, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad I stayed here two more days. I know I was the solution to Lazarus' problem, but I'm glad I didn't go. What? You're glad you didn't. What? But look what he says. I'm glad I didn't go. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really, and what's that next word? Everybody say it. Believe. For now you will really believe. Come on. Let's go see him. Now, that's pretty cool because, what do you mean, come on, let's go see him? He's dead, right? He's pushing up daisies. We're going to find out, you know, he's going to be already buried. But Jesus says, no, we're going to see him. (laughs) I like that. All right. So he says the whole point, the reason why I, I, I hung out two more days here, the reason why was so that you would believe. So that you would believe. Believe what? Well, we're going to get ready to go there. John eleven seventeen. 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Do you hear any bitterness in that? Maybe any frustration, maybe some anger? Do you think she was ticked? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It just records her words. I can be honest with you. If I was her, I would be angry. I would be mad. I don't know. I don't know how she felt. Why in the world did Jesus delay? Verse 15, so that they can believe. Mary and Martha both believed that Jesus could heal Lazarus. They totally believed. They had witnessed Jesus perform all kinds of miracles. They had witnessed, you know, we talked about last week about Jesus healing the blind man. I mean, they saw a lot of that. They believed that Jesus could heal Lazarus. It wasn't an issue of faith. It wasn't an issue of belief. But God just waited. And some of you, that's where you're at. God's just waiting. What are you waiting for, God? The reason why Jesus waited was this. They believed that He could heal Lazarus. But what they didn't know yet in the story was Jesus could do even something bigger than that. Jesus could not only heal Lazarus, He could breathe literally life back into Lazarus because He is the Creator. He is the Creator. He is life. He is the resurrection, and that's what Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anyone, everybody say anyone. Who is anyone? Who is not anyone in this room? No one. That's good. All right. Anyone. Anyone who believes. Everybody say the word believe. Now you remember, why did he wait two days? So that they would what? Believe. Very good. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone, everybody say everyone. This is all inclusive. All right. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he asked the question, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? That's a great question. Let me ask you the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe anyone and everyone who believes You see, many times the reason why Jesus doesn't come in and fix our situation immediately is because He wants to reveal more of Himself and more of His power in your life. And yes, you know He can heal, but He can literally resurrect your marriage. He can literally bring life into your child. He can literally fix your situation because nothing is beyond His grasp. Verse 35, then Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. You know, Jesus didn't wait there two days because he didn't have a heart. He loved Lazarus. Jesus isn't waiting in your situation because he doesn't care about you. No, no, no. He's weeping alongside of you. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? That's the question. That's the question Mary had, that's the question Martha had, and that's the question Lazarus had before he died. Hey, I know you can heal, but how come you're... I mean, we know you can heal. Couldn't you have kept me alive? Couldn't you have kept my brother alive? That's the point. So in verse 43, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Now, here's the point of this passage. Many of the people, many of the people who with Mary, what's that next word? I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch it. I'm a little slow. Can we say that again? Believed. That's the point of the passage. They believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Because here's the thing. Jesus is life. And yeah, you may think he can heal and he can do some things, but Jesus says, no, you don't know all what I can do. Because I am literally the resurrection and the life. My, uh,
1: my part in this is going to be to talk about I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And uh, I'm going to read a verse, and it's it's relatively basic. It's not going to be anything earth-shattering. But when you start to unpack some of these words, which is so true throughout the Bible, when you start to unpack some of these verses, you really start to really get to know some of the character and of God and uh, how much he loves us and how much he adores us. We're going to read from John 10, verse 11 through 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. He, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and as I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Now, Jesus makes a really incredible, uh, I can't talk, he, he compares the hired hand to the shepherd. And that's really important because in our life, for instance, if for some odd reason I decided that in my little town home I wanted to have some sheep, okay? And there, you know, let's say I had 10 and I had to go, I'm going to pay some guy $50, right? You kind of stay here you watch my sheep fifty dollars now and if I come back and they're all alive and they're all still here I'll give you another $50 right to motivate him so that he kind of hangs out and make sure um, that none of my sheep run off or die okay so at that point you know you think you've got a pretty willing guy you've given him some money you've given him a good incentive but at the end of the day that person I mean I know me personally if I'm that guy and a wolf shows up or like somebody with a gun I'm going to bail. I'm, I'm going to bounce. I'm going to, you know, I'll keep, they can keep their $50. I'm going to go ahead and get out of there. But Jesus isn't like that. And it's important for us to understand that because a lot of times in our faith, a lot of times in Christianity, we take God and our, our perception of who God is and we base that on who people are and our perception of who people are in our lives, of who us people that aren't perfect and don't love as much as Jesus did. We take that and we put that on Jesus. So we assume because we would bail... That he would bail. We assume because that he would go ahead and get out of the way, uh, because we would, that he will. But that's not the case, and that's not who Jesus is. And it's so important for us to understand that. It's so important for us to understand that God is absolutely 100% invested in us. He's not a hired hand. He's not a guy that you paid money to watch after your sheep. He is a guy that loves you so much. He loves you so much that he desires to be your good shepherd. He desires to look after you and know more about you. He desires to keep you in the path that he wants you to walk. This is what he wants. Because... The Bible tells us that He intricately put us together. He weaved us together piece by piece, moment by moment. There's not like some kind of mathematical equation that God enters in and says, okay, this is what you're going to be like. He puts us together and He makes us to be exactly what He wants us to be. And that is so key because He is invested in our lives and He is invested in being the good shepherd. He is not a shepherd that will leave. He is not a shepherd that will bail out when times get tough. Sometimes we think He is because we don't have the warm fuzzies and we don't feel all good and happy inside. And so we think that God's not there because we base it on our feelings. But God is way past our feelings. He is the God that created us. When you were in your mother's womb, He put you together piece by piece, bit by bit. He made you with love so that He could love you. That's so, so important to understand when we talk about the good shepherd, he is not a hired hand, but he is invested in my life. He is invested in your life. It's not something he looks at as some uh, menial chore or something that he has to do, something that God placed on him and made him do. It's something that he desires to do for us. You know, when you start thinking about the fact that every day of your life was planned, when God was creating you, he was planning out your life and planning out your future. And you start to think that God was planning out how to be a good shepherd in your life, how to plan to be in your life day by day, bit by bit, bad situation by bad situation, good situation by good situation. When you start to think that He planned how to love you day by day, it starts to change your outlook on who Jesus Christ is. You know, God, sometimes we have this view of this like really big happy guy It's on a playground and he just wants everybody to come play with him. Come swing with me. And it's not that way. He is a big, huge, loving God that loves us far beyond any words I could ever convey to you. But he is a God that will fight for you. He is a God that will lay down his life for you. Jesus said, I will protect you from the wolves. I will fight against the wolves. When they come, I will not run. I will not bail. I will not give up on you. I will not walk away from you. I will not say that you're not good enough anymore. I will stand beside you. I will fight for you and with you. And we will win. We will be victorious because that's the whole point of the gospel. When Jesus got up out of the cross, when he got on the, when he got on the cross, that was not only a picture of God's miracle, but it was a picture of Jesus's grace for us. When he got out of the tomb, there's so much more there than just a miracle. That means that God is who He says He is and He can do everything He says He can do. So when He says, I am the good shepherd, you know He is the good shepherd. Because when He got up out of the tomb, when He stood up and said, I've been victorious, I fought for you and I won, you know that He's telling the truth. And it's so important to start to understand that God is your good shepherd. Because you can walk through this life and you can feel real lonely at times. You know, this week as I was preparing for my part in this, I wanted to share something with you guys where I would be able to talk about how God's been the good shepherd in my life. And, you know, my wife can attest to this. There are so many stories that, you know, it, I, I could stand up here for hours and talk. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that. But I could, I could go on and on. But I wanted to share something with you guys that's kind of recent. Um, it's kind of painful so you'll have to excuse me as I work through it. But I want to share this with you guys because it's just such a picture of what a good shepherd jesus is in our lives. a few months ago um we found out that uh my wife like about the beginning of the year we found out my wife was pregnant with our fourth child we have three she's pregnant with our fourth child we didn't have insurance we're kind of freaking out i was actually kind of like having a daily panic attack um it was you know we were really stressed but we started to work through it and we knew that god was good god's shown himself too many times in our life so We remained faithful, and we just kept praying through it, and we started to get excited. It's another baby. You know, we love children. We want a big family. It's just happening a little sooner. So we started working through this. Well, on my birthday in March, March 5th, uh, we decided to go to the doctor. And I don't remember all the reasons surrounding it, but I know one of them was my wife didn't feel quite right. So we decided that we were going to go to the doctor, get it checked out. I was excited. I thought this would be a good birthday present. It's always cool, you know, for those of you who have kids you've ever been, you see the ultrasound, the heartbeat, it's always really exciting. So I was, you know, I was pumped. It's going to be a good birthday present. And uh, we get in there, and the doctor pulls out the little, you know, pocket thing, and he starts looking for the heartbeat, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he's looking. And, And, you know, enough time's going by now that I'm starting to get that weird feeling on the pit of my stomach, like this isn't right, this isn't normal. And he keeps looking, and the doctor's wonderful. He knew not to, you know, make us panic. But he said, you know what, I'm going to get us an ultrasound just to be sure. And I knew something wasn't right, and so we went in and we got this ultrasound. And uh, you can, if you've ever seen an ultrasound, all you can see at that age is the heartbeat. It just the whole baby's almost shaking. And when they started it, I thought, man, I can't see that. I can't see what's happening. I can't see that. And uh, so I started to kind of realize what was going on. And the lady got kind of a funny look on her face, and she said, you know, I'll be right back. And she went and got the doctor, and the doctor came in, and he looked, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, but your baby's... Not, not alive anymore. And I remember I remember I got so upset that my wife uh, She didn't even really have time to cry She kind of had to console me Because I was just weeping uncontrollably And the, the nurse went to grab It was, It's not funny but it was The nurse kind of grabbed some Kleenexes Went to hand them to my wife And she had to give them to me Because I was snotting and crying everywhere um, You know it, it was just a really really rough time Well that, that Sunday was our first Sunday We got to come here and hang out And uh you know, it's one of those things where you're angry, but, you know, you're not angry at God. You just don't understand. You don't understand how your, your baby's gone. You just don't understand that kind of stuff. And I'm sure so many people have been through this. But I was really having a hard time with it. And Josh and the band did an amazing set that day. It was so refreshing. But they did that song, Glory to God, Glory to God. Glory to God. And it started and, you know, I'm struggling through it because I'm like, you know, God, I know how to do a lot of things. I know how to stand up there and preach and say that give glory to God in everything we do. Give glory to God in everything we do. Give glory to God in everything we do. But right now in my life, it's really hard for me to say that. It's really hard for me to say glory to God out of this situation because it's my baby. You know, and when they're that young, you don't tend to think of them as God's baby. You tend to think of them as your baby. That's that's your baby. I don't know how to do this with you right now, God. I don't know how to say glory to God. And he just kind of came over me and he just kind of, you know, I don't know what an audible voice, but he just kind of whispered in my ear, haven't I always taken care of you? Haven't I been there time and time and time again? Haven't I put on your heart that one of the messages you're supposed to convey to my people is that in everything in our life, we're supposed to give glory to God. We're not put here to just walk through the earth, meandering, hoping for the best, show up to church once a week and then move on. We're here to give glory to God in every single thing that we do, every part of our life. Haven't I laid that on your heart? Haven't I showed you that time and time again? When you thought there was no way out, when you thought there was nothing else, didn't I show you that I'm good and I'm the good shepherd? Didn't I show you that time and time again? And so almost begrudgingly, I put my hand in the air as we're singing, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God forever. And I didn't do it. I'm not standing up here telling you to say I'm some kind of super Christian because that's not it. I didn't do this overly willingly. I just said, God, I know that you're good, and I know that you're my good shepherd, so glory to you, glory to you, glory to you forever. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. However that looks, however you have to use my life, you do that. That doesn't mean that I wasn't still heartbroken. I still didn't cry, that I still don't have weeks Right? don't understand. It just means that I say, okay, God, you have proved yourself faithful time and time and time again. And for once, I'm going to be faithful to you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God, because you are my good shepherd. You know... The one thing that I've really thought about is that if that only thing that baby ever accomplishes, the only thing that my baby ever does is bring glory to God because I got myself out of the way long enough to allow Him to work. How much better is that baby's life than mine? Doesn't have to walk through the hardships and the pain of this world. Doesn't have to worry about You know, all the times, like for me, for instance, who's had to apologize to God and who's had to come before God and say, I'm sorry, I've let you down and been disgraceful, doesn't have to worry about that. The one thing that this child may accomplish is that it brought glory to God. God is our good shepherd. In Hebrews, they go so far as to say, God is our great shepherd. He is your great shepherd. He's invested in you fights for you.
0: Jesus is life. Jesus is the good shepherd and the last I am is that Jesus is the vine. This last I am Jesus is talking about himself and it happens the night before he gets killed. Thursday night He's with His disciples who've been hanging out with Him for three and a half years. And uh, they're in this upper room. They celebrate the Passover, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And then they had communion. They sang a song, and they walked towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they walk there, they're going down the Kidron Valley, and they're passing by some vineyards. And Jesus and His disciples, as they're passing through the trellises... He takes one of the new growth, new spring growth of this vine and he starts talking about himself in John 15 verse 1. He says, "I am the true fi- the true vine and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener." So Jesus is the vine, God is the gardener, and we're going to find out later we are the branches. So Jesus, the vine, God, the Father, the gardener, and we're the branches. I'm going to keep on reading. I am the true grapevine. My Father is the gardener. He takes away every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. What I'm getting ready to share with you is really the secret of having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. For those in here earlier we were talking about believing, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's what you need to do is you need to believe in Him. But for those who have that relationship in Jesus, this is the secret. This is the essence of the Christian life. And this is it. That God wants us to bear fruit. But the only way we can bear fruit is if we have constant nourishment because a branch needs constant nourishment. In order to have life, it has to stay connected. Now, let me look at verse 2. It says, He takes away... The Greek word for that take, take away is Iro. and let me tell you, this makes me so angry I want to pull my hair out. It never means take away. That's the way it's translated in the New Living Translation. But a scholar of Greek it says this: in both the Bible and in Greek literature, Iro never means to cut off. IRO means to lift up, to wash off. In fact this really makes sense. Listen to how one California person who owns a vineyard and takes care of a vineyard has to say about this. New branches have a natural tendency to trail down and grow along the ground, he explains. But they don't bear fruit down on the ground. When branches grow along the ground, the leaves get coated in dust, and when it rains they get muddy and mildewed. And the branch becomes sick and useless. Because vines are expensive, they would never ever cut off the branch. Instead, They would go through the vineyard with a bucket of water looking for these branches. Then they would lift them up and wash them off, and then they would take the young branch and wrap them up in a trellis or tie them up so that they would not be close to the ground. Sometimes even in Hebrew culture, they would even take a rock and place underneath the branch, lifting it off the ground. In fact, this is what Jesus means when he says in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. He's talking about lifting them up, washing them off, not taking away. He says, I am the true grapevine. My father is the gardener. And he washes off, he raises up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Pruning. This tomato came out of my garden. You could say that I am a master gardener, all right, because it's amazing what a pound of miracle grow would do for one tomato. Um, one of the things, though, that I do every week, and sometimes twice a week, I will go out in my garden and I will prune my tomato plants. Now the reason why I do that is if you don't prune a tomato plant, you are going to have all tomato plants and no tomatoes. And I got to be honest with you, I plant tomato plants so I can get what? Tomatoes. In fact, I got so many tomatoes now if you I can hook a brother up. All right? I got them coming out my ears, all right? Um you know the whole point God says he wants us to bear fruit. But that means sometimes He has to wash us off, He has to lift us up, and sometimes He has to prune us, and sometimes that cuts deep. He cuts deep because He wants us to bear fruit. And the secret of having that vibrant Christian life is found in that next verse. In fact, He he uses the word abide ten times in the next six verses. Everybody said the word abide. Abide. Let's read it. Abide in me. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you abide in me. Yes, I am the vine. Look at this. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in him will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what it says? Apart from me, you can produce some small little fruit. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Abide in me. That's the secret. The reason why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, is that the secret of living a Christian life is you and I have to be connected to the life source. We have to be connected. Now I want you to look at this. Look at this branch right here. All right? This thing right here. Represents many of your spiritual life because some of you out there right now saying This is the way I feel inside This is the way I look spiritually inside. I'm drawn up. I'm dried up No green. There's no There's no life visible. I, I, I am brittle. You can break it off There's no life-giving sap See, what's the difference between this and this right here is that that has been severed from its life source for months, almost a year. This was just connected to the tree this morning. And you see, there's sap. It's not easily broken. There's green leaves. The secret secret of having a vibrant, growing Christian life is that you have to be close to Jesus. Because he is divine. You see, some of you out there, if I said, you know what? Let's go and let's get a big meal after church, all right? Let's blow out all the stops. Let's eat huge, all right? How many of y'all are with me? Praise Jesus, all right? So, and we go out and we go, we pull out all the stops and we go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and we eat all we can eat, right? Yes, Lord. Now, now, let's say, okay, great, that was a good meal. You'll get, you would say, yeah, it was. I says, okay, now let's don't eat anything else until next Sunday. How many of y'all would be up for that? No, none of you. Why? Because one meal, one, even if it's a big meal, a Sunday doesn't feed you. But see, that's what many of us do every Sunday. We come in here and we face, and we feast on the bread of life jesus yeah okay i'll be in god's word all right for the hour i'll be here you got me i'm done and i'm, I'm it's all you can eat buffet and i'm excited i'm pumped and you leave here going woohoo, and you kind of feel like this but come saturday you look like this you want to know why because you only ate one spiritual meal a week and that is not going to make you healthy no you have to be in god's word every day you have to be talking to jesus Every day. You have to spend time in here. This is life because Jesus says, I am the Word. I am the grapevine. I am the bread of life. Come and feed on me. That's the secret. So I'm encouraging you. If you feel like this and you want to look like this, then you're going to have to eat more than one spiritual meal a week. You're going to have to read your Bible for yourself, all right. You're gonna have to open up God's Word. You're gonna have to talk to Him without using all the fancy language. Thou's coming to thou's house and what? Just talk to Him, all right. If you can't find a Bible that's easy to read, we got tons of them right outside this door. We give them to you for free, all right. Take one, but spend time with God daily because here's the big idea of Jesus talking about this. God is not interested. God doesn't want you to do more for Him. He wants you to be more with Him. God doesn't want you to do more for Him. And see, that's what a lot of churches do. You do this, you do this, you do this, and then yeah, God's going to be happy with you. No. God's already happy with you because His Son died for you if you have a relationship with Him. But God's saying, you know what? I don't want you to do more things for me. I want you to be more with me. We're not called human doings. We're called human beings. So let's spend more time with God. Let's all pray. I'm talking, I really do feel, to two people in here, two groups of people. There's those in here that you needed to hear the first part of this message so that you could believe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You feel so far away and you think, well, if I'm just good enough or if I come to church a few times a month or a few times a year or whatever, if I put some money in a plate or a big bowl or if I, you know, if I just, you know, and God's going to be happy with me and I'm going to start being good. And God's saying, you can't be good enough. Hate to break it to you, you can't be good enough. But the good thing is, I have been good enough for you only thing you have to do is believe in me. So if that's you this morning, you just need to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. You need to say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. And Lord, I don't feel close to you because I'm not close to you. And I'm asking right now that you would come and that you would heal me, that you would forgive me of my sins, and that you would allow me to have a relationship with you so that I can believe. Lord, the other group of people I'm talking to today, Lord, really, they're up on the stage. This nasty, dried-up branch and this branch that breathes life. Lord, so many times we get bought into the lie that if we just did more things for you, then you would be happy for us. And you're saying, no, I want you to hang out more with me because I miss spending time with you. Jesus is saying to many of you, I miss hanging out with you during the week. The reason why you feel dried up and useless is because you are not connecting yourself to me because I am the true vine. Lord, for those in here who are struggling with that today, God, I pray, Lord, that tomorrow, in fact, better yet, that tonight, that they would open up your word, they would open up the bread. And they would feast on it. They would understand it. That they would make you a part of themselves. And they would spiritually eat three times a day, four times a day, at least once a day. Oh we love you. We thank you so much that you give us life. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.